My name is Tomi Obaro, and I'm the author of the novel Della Wed's Destiny. Set against the backdrop of a present-day Nigerian wedding, Tomi Obaro's Della Wed's Destiny follows three best friends and their 30-year friendship. Told through two timelines, one at the start of their friendship in the 80s and the other 30 years later, the novel explores the ways friendships change over time, a result of marriages, transcontinental moves, and motherhood. I recently spoke with Tomi Obaro about her inspiration for the novel and aspects of traditional Nigerian culture. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. Could you give our listeners a brief introduction to the novel? Yes. So it's a story about three Nigerian women, Eniton, Fumi, and Zainab, who meet in college in northern Nigeria in the 1980s and how their friendship evolves and changes over time. There are two different timelines, one in the 1980s when they first meet and the other in 2015 when they're reuniting for the first time in almost 30 years to celebrate the wedding of Fumi's daughter, Destiny. So I want to talk to you about the inspiration for the book. And I read on Twitter that you found a, a photograph of your mother and two friends that served kind of as the, the launching off point. And so were they your, your Auntie Yeti and your Auntie Boomy and with your mother? And I know I said those names wrong. So how do you say? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you did. You did a good job. Okay. That photo sort of got my, you know, my, the wheel spinning a bit and made me realize that there could be a story here. But the thing that I always emphasize is that it, it's a very loose inspiration. None of the women are particularly like any of, you know, the women in real life. So. So at its core, Delaware's Destiny is about multi-decade friendship among three women. They have a lifetime of experiences that sometimes test their bonds, including unplanned pregnancy, family loyalty, the changing definitions of home. There are so many serious topics explored in this book, and it makes it feel very real, very true to life. So can you talk to me about the nature of female bonds and the evolving nature of friendship? Sure. I mean, I just, I've always been interested in exploring relationships over time and particularly friendships, or at least like those are the sorts of novels that I always love reading. And so um, to me, it felt like pretty organic to, you know, then see how those bonds are tested over time. And then to just really witness, you know, the changes in fortunes of these characters and, and the way that that changes how they relate to one another. And sometimes like the way certain characters become closer to uh, another character because you know, of, of changes that have happened. It wasn't like I necessarily was like, I'm then I'm gonna write about this topic and put this topic in the book. It just, it felt quite organic, but I'm just, I, I mean, I just always have found you know, friendships really interesting. And, and I mean, in some ways they're enjoying, they're being covered more, I think, in fiction or like it's popular to talk about those themes in fiction in a way that maybe that wasn't always the case before. But I, I still always think that they, that they merit like serious consideration, so. You know, also interesting in the book, the mother-daughter relationships. They were complex and varied among each of the three friends. So, can you talk about the different sort of mother-daughter relationships that the book depicts, both traditional, but also, you know, there were stepmothers and godmothers and other kinds of mothers? Yeah. I mean, I think 
the relationship between a mother and daughter when you know the mother has grown up in a different culture is one that you see particularly with the characters of Anitant and Remy, which is her daughter. And Remy is also biracial, her father is white. And so I think like it, that dynamic is probably most familiar for children of immigrants or people who immigrated early on, which is, is sort of my experience where they're grappling with cultural differences. Uh, and then the relationship between Fumi and her daughter Destiny is, is sort of in some ways more fraught. I think Fumi is a very strong and, and bold character and Destiny is quiet and hard to read. And I, I think one, one sort of theme that comes up in the book is like this longing for Fumi to have a deeper relationship with her daughter, but not really knowing how to start. And I think that those dynamics, certainly I've, I've seen them or I've seen versions of them in, in, in my life and the life of friends and family. And I was interested in, in exploring them. And then, yeah, there is sort of like this little bit of a surrogate relationship between Zainab and Destiny, where because Zainab isn't Destiny's mother and also just has a bit more patience, they're able to form this bond. So I loved reading about the wedding, which I don't think is a spoiler since it's in the title. Can you describe for our listeners some aspects of traditional Nigerian wedding ceremonies? So the wedding depicted in the book is a traditional Yoruba ceremony. Um, and so it, it's an important distinction only because Nigeria has so many ethnic groups. And so some of the traditions really vary from ethnic group to ethnic group. Um, but in, in your traditional Yoruba weddings, you have two alagas or MCs who preside over the proceedings. One represents the bride's family, one represents the groom's family. And there are all these different rites of passage. There's often an emphasis on the groom and the young people paying deference to the older people. So that's a really important thread in Yoruba culture generally. So the groom and his groomsmen will like prostrate themselves in front of the bride's family. Um, and like the bride will like kneel in front of her like new soon to be parent, parent-in-laws. And then there's also usually a really raucous live band, talking drums, lots of percussion, entertainment. And like, depending on how much money you have, they can be very lavish. There'll be outfit changes, lots of dancing. Um, and then something that's become common in a lot of Nigerian celebrations is spraying of money. So people will have like dollar bills and they'll like be ba basically spraying or like, you know, flipping them onto like the bride and groom or like the parents of the bride and groom and family members. Um, so it can be like a very uh, raucous affair. And then there usually is a moment usually in the beginning, where like a letter is read from the groom's family to the bride's family, formally asking for a hand in marriage, gifts are exchanged. It's, it's very rooted in the idea that typically, at least certainly like traditionally in, in Yoruba culture, a marriage is a union between two families and not necessarily only just between two people. So that aspect, yeah, is included in the book. I want to talk a bit about African writers and Nigerian authors in particular, because a couple of your characters argued about the health of writing on the continent. And I'm curious, are there any writers who were particularly influential to you when you were writing this book? Yeah, I mean, so I read quite a bit of uh, like domestic African fiction, particularly women's fiction, to sort of get me in, in the mindset of like what the day-to-day -day of these women's lives would be like. So the writer Buchi Mecheta, 
who um, was this famous Igbo writer. Um, I read her, it's sort of like a very loosely based, it's fiction, but it's, it's pretty autobiographical. So she wrote this book called Second Class Citizen, which documents her um, life living in England as a mom of like four kids. She had an abusive husband and she started writing again on her own. And then I read, she, I think, she's not Nigerian. I think she, I'm pretty sure she's Senegalese, Mariama Ba, So Long a Letter. And then I read some more Butchia Metata books like when I was in the editing process. But those were books that I, I definitely leaned on. I think like these women were often self-taught and they really sort of like, and you can see it in the writing, it feels like a little bit like rough in parts, but it, it's just very much like a, a grueling depiction of, what their lives were like under patriarchy. So those are books that I definitely read. And then, you know, I grew up reading some of like, you know, the classics. I read Chinua Achebe and some Wale Shinka plays and Chimamanda's books, of course. So I was aware of, of that lineage as well. So in addition to your, you know, to writing this novel, you are an editor and writer for BuzzFeed. Has that experience shaped your fictional writing at all? Not really. I think it it helps. It helps in terms of like the publishing process, you know, in any any way in which you can kind of like be connected is helpful. So I think in terms of like finding an agent, getting the book published, those sorts of things, I think it's it was helpful to be working in media and, and be living in New York. But as far as the writing itself, it's really different. And I think that was, that's sort of why I I think was honestly able to do it. I mainly edit. I don't really write that often. So it really feels like I'm using a different part of my brain when I'm writing. And so I think it just allowed me to not, like, I think if I was a staff writer, I think it would have been much harder to be motivated to like wake up in the morning and write for myself and then write for work. So I think in some ways having some, some sort of foot in, in the creative world, so to speak, as an editor of like culture stories was good, but it also allowed for some differentiation, which was helpful. There were a couple of moments in the book where I like underlined something you wrote. And one was, quote, everything in Nigeria seems comparatively cruel to liberal Americans who loved to act as if America was also not capable of cruelty and disregard. And then later, quote, America was a place where disaster always seemed to be happening. Their movies were always violent. Someone was always bleeding to death or covered in blood, missing eyes and arms and limbs. Now, to be fair, the character was referring to movies like Jaws and Alien when she said that sentence. But I was struck by the idea of how how we see each other. So how did you approach writing from the different perspectives of, of somebody who had grown up in America versus somebody who had grown up in um, Nigeria? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it was an exercise in imagination uh, to like fully in, inhabit the characters who are all supposed to have been born and raised in Nigeria and have spent like the majority, well, in any tone's case, not so much, but with the other two, the majority of their lives in Nigeria. Um, because I'm someone who visited Nigeria a lot growing up because I lived in the Gambia, which is very close by. So I think maybe more than like the average Nigerian American, I've, I've lived in a West African country before and like visited family a lot. So I, I did have that advantage, but also I, I really did, had not you know, lived in Nigeria. So it was sort of like a balancing act in terms of framing. And yeah, and so I think it just required like, you know, some degree of, of imagination. Um, and then also just like observations that I've made and like things that I felt, whether I'm in Nigeria or not. So, yeah. 
So I read that this is your first novel, but it's not exactly your first attempt at a novel. What happened there? Yeah, uh, so I I started or I decided to start writing fiction seriously, I think in, I think it was 2018. And so I wrote a whole novel that had the same title, but was a completely different plot. And then we sort of realized that it just wasn't working. And then in the summer of 2019, decided to really give this another go and started started writing what would become this novel. And that process just felt so organic and fun. And so it made me realize like, okay, I think that there is something here. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a very common story with writers where it's like the first draft isn't like the first book that's published. And I was really hoping that I would be the exception, but that was not the case. <laughs> so what's next for you? Do you have another novel in the making? Yeah, I'm working on I'm working on a novel now, but it's it's sort of very early stages. And I'm somebody who enjoys not outlining, so I have no idea where it's going. Um, <laughs> but in some ways that makes it fun, or in a lot of ways that makes it fun. How do you feel about exclamation points? <laughs> I loved that part where the internet generation had ruined the joys of the exclamation mark. Using it too promiscuously, cheapening its adrenaline shot effect on the sentence. I'd love that. I can't say it, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's just a consequence of, of working at BuzzFeed. But <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed your novel a lot. And um, congratulations. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time. That was Tomi Abaro, author of the book, Della Wed's Destiny, which was published by Knopf. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our marketing assistant is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia. And for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.